This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. And for everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called Breast Cancer and Work. And I have three women here who want to talk about their diagnosis and how it affected their jobs and their search for a job. And also a QC who can talk about your rights. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. Hi. I wonder if you could introduce yourselves. Tracy, why don't you kick off? Hi, I'm Tracy Crouch. I am the Conservative MP for Chatham and Aylesford. I'm a former sports minister. I was diagnosed with breast cancer last uh, year, last June, and I finished treatment, which included radiotherapy and chemotherapy in February. And how do you feel right now, Tracy? Absolutely fantastic. Do you? Oh, that's (laughs) good to hear. Really, really, really good. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. I'm Mel Bastian. I'm... I was diagnosed at 46 years old in 2018 um, of breast cancer. I had radiotherapy, I had a mastectomy and chemotherapy. And I finished treatment just before lockdown um, last year. And how are you feeling, Mel? Um, Now I'm feeling great. I was not feeling great then, but I am definitely feeling much better right now. Good. I'm Tara McGovern. Um, I'm a detective chief superintendent with the Met. Metropolitan Police Service in London. Um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in January 2019 um, and I had chemo, um, I had uh, radiotherapy, surgery and immunotherapy and I finished my uh, last um, session in June 2020. And today, how are you feeling? I feel great. I'm on some Oxfen but I I, I feel like I manage it pretty well. So I know I'm really, really good. Thank yeah. you. I don't know what, it, I don't know if it's just me, but Tara, when you say detective chief superintendent, I suddenly feel guilty. You feel <laughs> nervous. Yeah, I, it makes me nervous. I don't know if that's just me, but anyway, uh, Suzanne, hello. Um, I'm Suzanne Mackay. And as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a QC, but I also run a law firm that specializes in discrimination and whistleblowing. So we've dealt with a lot of disability discrimination cases involving cancer sufferers. Now, that is interesting because I don't think most people would associate cancer necessarily or cancer diagnosis with a disability. Can you just briefly explain that, Suzanne? Well, I can understand that and people don't necessarily like the label, but under the law, it is automatically a disability. Cancer is automatically a disability. There's very few conditions that have that automatic rule. Uh, MS, HIV, cancer uh, are three of them. So even if you're not symptomatic, um, even though it doesn't interfere with your day-to-day activities, even though you can concentrate and your memory's okay, it's still a disability and it gives you lots of rights. So it's important to know. Yeah. Did you that, know that, that, Mel? that exists. I didn't know that at all. Tracy? Not at all. No, I didn't know that. And I, I probably really should. <laughs> Tara? 
Uh, I did. Um, and that's because of the support that's available within the organisation I work for. Understood. So, think- okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I want to ask, thank you for clarifying that, Suzanne. Really important, as you say. I want to ask Tracy, Mel and Tara, before your diagnosis, what were you doing and how important was the work that you were doing? Tracy. Well, as a member of Parliament, um, I was at home, uh, like everybody else, doing um, ha- having worked through lockdown um, from home. And uh, I had, like everybody else, sort of kind of up my exercise and, and started going out a lot more um, as, as a means of sort of kind of engaging with the outside world in those few moments that, of freedom that we were allowed. I'd gone back to work because uh, we'd just lifted um, parts of lockdown. So I was back in Westminster um, and clinging on to you know those free moments that I had um, at the weekend, and I'd been out for a bike ride. Um, I'd done my longest bike ride uh, of fifty kilometres, and uh, I sort of jumped in the shower and and um, didn't think anything of it. Later that evening, still a bit achy, got in the bath uh, and found a lump. Um, and but I, it was really weird because I'd felt really healthy you know I'd <laughs> um, being a member of parliament you know it takes takes you away from your your home and you live out of a suitcase and you grab food on the go you don't do much exercise you're pretty sedentary and I like many many others had embraced the opportunity during lockdown to kind of completely change that and I was eating healthier and I was doing more exercise and I felt really well but like you said in your introduction um, and so sort of kind of finding the lump was a bit of a surprise, but I think I knew instantly um, that it was uh, breast cancer and it got diagnosed really quickly. Yeah. You say it was a bit of a surprise. I mean, is, is that genuinely, did you go, oh, that's a surprise or, or are you downplaying it? No, I do, because actually well, a couple of things. First of all, I didn't think it happened to younger people like me. How old are you, uh, Tracy? I turned 46 this weekend, okay. uh, so, um, but I was 44 when I was diagnosed. I had my second lumpectomy on my 45th birthday. Uh, and um, I um, and I just, I don't know why, but just in my head, I just had a vision of it, you know, being for older women. And I remember uh, reading about uh, your own diagnosis, Victoria, and, and thinking, gosh, that's unusual. Because mm, I was 46, I, yeah. And actually now I realise that it's not that unusual. Um, and and there's more of us, you know, below the age of 50 being diagnosed all the time, mm. um, which is why I think it's actually really interesting to have this conversation about the workplace, because we're all predominantly still in that workplace. Yeah. Um, now, I have a very sort of kind of strange job in the sense that, you know, although we are employed, if you like, by our constituents, we're still relatively self-employed. And therefore, the sort of what we do and how we run our offices and you know, when we go to pump, it's kind of up to us. So we have a lot more flexibility than some of the other workplaces or careers that people who get diagnosed uh, are in. Mm. Mel, what were you doing when you were diagnosed? Were you in work? And if you were, how important was your job to you? When I was diagnosed, no, I wasn't, I wasn't at work. I had been made redundant in the July just mm-hmm. before. And, um, I decided to take a holiday. I was like, I'm taking a holiday. I need a break. My dad had passed um, the April just before. And I just thought it's really, it's a crappy year anyway. So I'm going to go and take a holiday. And whilst I was in Cuba, that's when I found my lump. I was putting on my bikini and I just, I just brushed against 
my breast as I was putting on my bikini and I found the lump and I was like, okay, I've had a lump in that breast before. So, and it turned out to be a cyst. So I just kind of fobbed it off and said, yeah, that's what I'm expecting it to be. I'll check it out when I go back home. But when I got back home, I, I got mixed in with life and completely forgot about it until you I forgot? was on Yeah, I kind of like knew it was there. It was August. I was I found the lump. It was August. I was on holiday and I said, okay, I'll come back home. And um I know I need to get it checked. It's most really gonna turn out to be a cyst like the last one. Mm. Um and um and I was just, I don't know, I was going through my dad's stuff and um, I just got a sharp pain in, in actual area. And I said, oh, my God, that that lump, I need to go. I need to go to the doctors. And I booked an appointment straight away. Um, and then, yeah, they diagnosed me with um, with breast cancer the October. And what kind of jobs, what kind of work have you, do, had you, have you done in your adult life? I, I was working in finance. I was a finance manager for a investment company in the city I'd worked there for three years um and I've done finance all my life really I've always worked in finance so I'm yeah finance woman Tara how important was your job at the Met before you were diagnosed oh um work is incredibly important to me uh my career is so I'd um I'd been in Hampshire originally as a police officer and I transferred into the Met and my the reason my burning desire was I wanted to be Jane Tennyson, you know, um, Prime suspect. From, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, that was my dream to go to London and, and run some big jobs. So the job I'd just been uh, given uh, was the head of modern slavery and criminal exploita- exploitation of children. So brilliant job. I was de- absolutely delighted. Um, I was on the kidnap rotor, so I was running kidnaps. Um, you know, the, the dream was happening. Um, and I I'd, uh, I'd, uh, also just set up the network of women, which is a big support um, network across the Met for women uh, within the organisation. And then I did my, I, I, um, my mum died of breast cancer when I was 11. So um, I've always checked myself on a fairly regular basis, um, most almost every month. So it was 29th of December, um 2018 it was just after my period so I thought well I've, I need to check myself it was a Saturday morning so I did my check felt a lump it's tiny but I knew I, I had this and then I assumed every position you can assume to hope that that lump would disappear but it, it wasn't going anywhere so uh it was the Monday New Year's Eve quarter to eight in the evening I was sat in the GP surgery chatting about the lump I'd found and asking for a referral to the um, to the clinic, um, and I was devastated because not uh, I think it was my career. I was so worried about my career, and I I actually text when I got um, the diagnosis confirmed. I I I wrote to the uh, deputy commissioner, and I wrote to the deputy assistant commissioner saying, "Don't write me off, please don't write me off," you know. I, I have cancer, I will get over this, but I'll be back, I'll be stronger, I'll be better, just don't write me off. Because that was my biggest fear. People go, ah, she's, she's the cancer girl. Um, it's so. interesting that you say that was your biggest fear when a few seconds ago you told us that your mum had died from breast cancer. 
So you didn't mm, yeah. you didn't immediately think this is a death sentence. No, I I knew um, I knew that because what you know that period of time when you find a lump and then you get to the clinic. Mm. You know you've read everything on Google. I did. I researched everything, and the thing that I recognised was how far uh, research and uh, drugs and you know the, the the how they manage breast cancers come. And, uh, and I didn't, I never saw it as a, uh, as a death sentence. I thought, well, I found it early because it's tiny. The lump was tiny. Um, and so I'd, 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 I knew that, but I knew it was going to be pretty horrific in terms of the treatment, but I knew that I didn't see it as a death sentence at all now. Okay. Mm. Tracy, when you were officially diagnosed as a politician, who do you then tell? Who, who is your boss? Uh, well, I guess the Prime Minister, really. Did you did you tell did you tell him? <laughs> um, uh, and also my whip. Um, so we all, we all have a whip. Uh, explain what a whip is. It's really hard to explain what a whip is, but basically they're the sort of kind of person that looks after you, make sure you vote in the right di- you vote in the right direction. That if you've got any concerns about particular issues, you can raise them uh, it with them. Mm. Um, and you're in a flock, so they're like our they're, they're like our shepherds in yes. Parliament, if you like. Um, but a, but a bit more disciplinarian potentially than that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, but actually, primarily, I mean, I, I told my constituents. Um, because they're really my boss, right? They're the ones that vote for me and, and you know, give me the, the enormous privilege of, of being an MP. So, you know, I, I, I couldn't keep it private. There was part of me that wanted to, but there was another part of me that thought, actually, I, I can't. You know, I owe it to my constituents to let them know that things are not going to necessarily be as they as they are. But also, you know, I'd already been spotted in oncology um, right. because I, I live in my constituency, um, I, I was sat in oncology waiting for uh, for I think just actually just a blood test I think and um, uh, somebody said hello and it was at that point you just thought there's no point even trying to keep this secret because I'm going to go through treatment I'm going to lose my hair I'm going to you know there's there's you just have to yeah. get out there yeah. and I and actually you know in a way it was quite a useful thing because I have a platform and I was able to use it to encourage other people to check themselves and raise awareness about breast cancer and raise awareness about the fact that you know if, if people thought like me that it was only older people that got um breast cancer you think again yeah. you know because I, I thought myself as fit and healthy and young and it wasn't going to happen to me mm-hmm. and it did D- sorry did you tell Boris Johnson yeah, yeah, yeah. I just texted him. Um, <laughs> uh, do you mind me asking how he replied? <laughs> In a way that you'd expect, with a great deal of compassion and care. Um, the uh, his um, uh, his wife, as she is now, Carrie, uh, was um, our special advisor when I was sports minister. So I've made a very uh, I've maintained a very strong relationship with Carrie. They sent me some manuka honey in the post um, after diagnosis, um, and uh, stayed in touch throughout. And you know, Boris would send um, uh, voice WhatsApp messages um, to to wish me well and hope that I was doing okay and stuff throughout. So. Mel, when, as you said, you, you'd been made redundant, you'd taken this holiday, you'd found this lump, eventually you were diagnosed. Was work in your head at all or were you just thinking, OK, I am going to take as long as it takes to get through this? Work was in my head in the beginning because I had just started to like 
decide, okay, I'm going to go back and start looking for a job because I'd been off for like three months and I thought that's enough time. Mm. But then as soon as I was diagnosed, no, I didn't even, I didn't even think of work. My, I was, I was just scared because my sister had had breast cancer eight years prior and um, it was really bad for her. So I just kept on thinking, oh, I don't want chemo. I don't want chemo. I don't want chemo. That's the only thing I was thinking. I was not thinking about work at all. Right. Suzanne, let me bring you in. Uh, Suzanne Mackay, a QC specialising in discrimination. When you get that diagnosis, what should your approach be towards your bosses? Um you need to tell them and that's hard it's hard to do because it is very personal right particularly with, with, with certain things like breast cancer for example but you do need to tell them because the employer is not under any duties whatsoever unless they have actual knowledge that you're suffering from what would be a disability um, there's, there's a concept called constructive knowledge if there is ways of finding out or the employer may know or suspect then the duties can kick in then but with something like cancer, it really is quite specific. Um, it is an automatic disability, as I said earlier. So the important thing is to, you know, garner that strength and have that conversation because from that moment, they're under a duty to make reasonable adjustments for you. Uh, and so it's so important that, that they get that knowledge and that they're under duty to consider them. But also it helps if the employee says, the worker says, well, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? Okay. Tara, you told us that you wrote to your bosses and said, don't write me off. Um, how did they, what was that, the first kind of um, acknowledgement towards you about your diagnosis? Um, it was, it, I mean, it was very compassionate. Um, so I got a lot of support from the organisation. My immediate line manager became my welfare officer um, and sort of stayed in contact with me Um on a very regular basis throughout my entire treatment and you know I kept saying oh I'll be back in six months and he was like no Tara let's just you know let's see what happens Mm -hmm. type thing um and you know up the chain you know the commissioner wrote to me um which was incredibly kind as did uh and the deputy commissioner um dropped me you know the occasional note um they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They kept my job open for me. You know, I was jumping up and down about, I got this head of, <laughs> I've got this job and I don't want to lose it. Um, and so they, they kept that open for me. Um, and if you're off for more than six months in the police, um, you go on half pay, but because of the fact that I'm protected by, uh, because of the status of cancer, as Suzanne has um, already articulated, they uh, ensured that I stayed on full pay. Um, and so I had, you know, regular contact with the organisation. Lots of my colleagues and friends would come and visit me and, you know, get send me part like Cadbury's fruit and nuts through the posts and that's, you know, mm. essentials in life. Yeah, um, essentials, of course. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Looking through a rammed wardrobe but still nothing to wear? Discover how to organise your clothes to give them a new lease of life. Make it easy to put together looks to create the image you want. A simple Marina Rinaldi wardrobe detox video consultation will give you a better understanding of the clothes and colours that suit you best. Welcome to an inspiring, stress-free wardrobe. 
Suzanne, the way Tara's described that from the Met, is that textbook? Oh, I wish it were, but it's not. Okay. Um, you know, there are certain sorts of employers, private employers, who, who in my experience are less than sympathetic. Right. And the difficulty is that they see cancer in a certain way. They have a quite a lot of HR people may take the view that cancer means this will happen, then that will happen, then this will happen. It'll go through stages the individual will get worse, they'll want time off. And the other difficulty, of course, is that a lot of employers do not do full pay. You know, it's, it's it can be discretionary or it's just the first five or seven days and then after that you're on SSP, which makes it extraordinarily which difficult. Which is statutory sick pay. Yeah, statutory sick pay. So, no, it, it, it's not, I'm afraid, typical. And there is an element of lack of compassion in my experience as well. And I have wondered whether, because we see adverts now saying, you know, one in three or one or two of us will get cancer in our lifetime, that I'm seeing a thread of less compassion from employers as if, well, you know, you know, it happens to a lot of us. Whereas 10 years ago, I think there was a lot more, you know, concern and fear and belief that this will end up in a, in a you know, a situation where the person might die. Mm. Ta- so ta- it's interesting ta- that yeah. Tara said earlier she didn't want to be seen at work as the cancer girl. Mm, yeah. uh, it sounds like you're saying that there are, of course, there are some people, workplaces, even HR people, God forbid, who have that attitude. They do. And, you know, if it's about the bottom line, if it's about whether you are a fee earner in particular, are you going to not be able to make fees? Are you going to become, you know, a proverbial pain because you're taking lots of time off and, you know, inability to concentrate, tiredness, all the rest of it? I mean, that it, it, I'm afraid it just does happen, and that's why we have disability discrimination cases. Mm. Um, but it's important also when you say to your employer, y- y- "I'm telling you," but you must only tell people who need to know, because it shouldn't go around the whole organisation. There are some people who do need to know maybe senior people in HR, the, your manager, anyone who will be taking part in the in, in making reasonable adjustments to your workplace. But no one else should be finding out about this. And unfortunately, it does tend to happen. And when people do um, subject access requests, when they get into a dispute with their employer, they often find employees who shouldn't have known and shouldn't have been told, being told by email. That, that's just not on. I'm going to come back to you later on what reasonable adjustments might be, but just tell me, give me an example or two of some of the things that your clients have told you have been said about them after a cancer diagnosis. Well, again, you you often don't find out until you do a subject access request and get information from your employer or you go into litigation and they have to disclose documents. So there's reference to the C word, there's reference to this is this will cause problems. There can be references to, well, this is a headache. Uh, this is inconvenient. Comments like that. Mm. Obviously, most employers will have compassion and will have <laughs> emails that are populated by references to compassion. But unfortunately, in a minority of cases, that that isn't the case. Is it true you had a client who uh, someone said about them at work? I don't know why she carries on working. Yes. So you're between a rock and a hard place. You know, you are in a situation where, particularly if you're a single woman, 
a single mother, you carry on working. And if you only get statutory sick pay, you carry on working. And then people think, oh, well, she's not really a victim at all, is she? What, what's she doing carrying on work? Oh, she can't be that sick. I mean, you can't win in that situation, you know, and it is, it's appalling. Tracy, what do you think of some of those examples? Well, I mean, I'm listening to Tara and Suzanne and, and I feel, and I know this sounds weird, but I feel incredibly lucky that I had my diagnosis during COVID um, because actually it meant that I wasn't doing anything different to what every all my, my colleagues were doing. So a lot of what we do as members of parliament is on email. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the public don't see that because all they see is us shouting at each other in the chamber. But a significant chunk of what we do is desk-based. And I was able to do that from home. And I was able to dial into Parliament because everybody else was dialing into Parliament. Somebody else was voting for me because they were voting for everyone else as well. So in a way, my work patterns weren't disrupted by going through cancer treatment because, you know, we were in this bizarre situation uh, at, at home anyway mm. through COVID. But, you know, thinking about it, if it hadn't been in COVID, then uh, I would not be voting in Parliament. My voting record would look appalling. We don't have proxy voting in Parliament for anything other than maternity and paternity leave. And just explain proxy voting, Tracy. It means basically if you're ill or can't get there, someone else can... You explain it better than me. So so, (laughs) somebody else... (laughs) Somebody else can vote on your behalf, but only if you're on maternity and paternity leave. During COVID, um, we've had um, proxy voting because we're not encouraged to be in the workplace. And yet, obviously, you know, Parliament is continuing. Um, So um, our our votes are still being cast uh, in that way. Now, you know, once the COVID um, procedures lift in September, uh, then there will be no proxy voting for anybody other than those that have just had a baby. And it does beg the question, you know, should, should proxy voting be extended for certain uh, conditions? And uh, cancer to me is uh, is clearly one of those things that perhaps proxy voting should be extended for. We've, uh, in, in my, just in my short time of diagnosis, another three people have, uh, are currently going through treatment for some form of cancer uh, in Westminster. And, and, you know, I mean, I wasn't the first and I, I won't, I'm clearly not the last. And we do need to make sure that the workplace is adaptive uh, in that respect, in the voting respect, because a Labour MP, um, uh, Thangan Debonair down in Bristol, she was off with breast cancer for, I think, six months and was abused horrendously for missing votes. And you're just like, it's not that I'm missing votes. Yeah, it's yeah. just that I can't be there to cast the votes. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I say I feel incredibly lucky in a in a strange way to have been diagnosed when I have because I don't feel it's impacted on my ability to do my job. And I found work a complete, you know, safe haven for me to, you know, not be sitting there thinking about cancer yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, I I felt exactly the same about work. I, I when I wasn't having treatment and when I felt well enough, I was able to come to work. And my bosses at the time. Um, they're not there anymore, were, were absolutely brilliant. They said, look, we will be guided by you. If you want to go away for six months and have your treatment and come back, that's fine. If you want to come in, then that's absolutely fine. They were they were really excellent. Mm. Um, and that's not always the case with everyone at the BBC. I know people have had different experiences depending on, depending on who the boss is, which is just bizarre that it's so inconsistent. Now, Mel, I want to talk to you about when you'd got through treatment, you 
were looking for work. And you had to make a decision about whether you would put that you'd had a cancer diagnosis on your CV. Talk to us about the the things that you were considering. Yeah, I definitely debated with myself for a while whether to actually put on there because obviously the last time I had worked was 2018 and we are now in 2021. And it's like, what's she done for three years, you know? And I've always worked. So I I really debated, do I put it on? Do I not put it on? And then I decided, no, because my CV was going to go out to so many different platforms, especially you put it on total jobs or something like that. I didn't know who was going to see it. I just thought, no, if they could see my experience and if they decide to give me an interview and they ask the question, then I can answer it, you know, but I applied for a lot of jobs and just this was the most difficult time for me to, I know it's difficult situation to get a job Mm. considering it's the pandemic, but I've never applied for so many jobs in my life, (laughs) never. And so when you got to the point of being asked, I mean, presumably you were asked, what what is this gap then, Mel? Yeah. You told them the truth. Yeah, I told them the truth. I said I I had a cancer diagnosis and I've been going through treatment. And And how did they react? um, Majority of it was, um, okay, not not a problem. Mm. Um, I did get a few agencies that um, said, okay, we'll let you know. And I never heard back from them. Mm. So, yeah. Um, What do you think of those who who you Um, never heard back from? The ones I didn't hear back from, I just thought, I just thought, okay, fine, they're discriminating because I've had cancer, and and in my in my mind, I thought that would happen anyway because I just thought they might look at me as, oh God, she's sick, or is she going to be sick, or how productive is she going to be for us in the workplace? So, yeah, it's 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 not what you want, but I kind of expected it to be fair. Suzanne, what would your advice be? Sorry, sorry, go on. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, I think one of the things, you know, coming up from Mel, uh, her comments there, one of the things I've I've really discovered is people just don't know how to react. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, you know, they they get really awkward. You know, Mm. it's like, even like going back into Parliament after, you know, um, after treatment, people were like, just didn't know what to sell you, you look well and it's like well I'm, I'm not dead um so, so the people I mean Mel I mean you know it's sort of kind of I hear what Mel was saying there about you know not hearing back and and part of me is just because you know if I'm being generous it's mm. because because I just think people are they just don't know what to say they're perhaps if it's becoming more prevalent people will learn to to, to have a, a proper engagement a proper discussion about it but I think they're just a mm. bit awkward now well let's let's help them what kind of things should you say or not say what kind of things have been said to you that you've appreciated or that you've thought okay I think you're coming from a good place but the way it came out was wrong let me ask all of you go on Tracy you start well it seems you know sort of kind of ungenerous of me to say you know about people saying oh you look well <laughs> you sit there and think well I haven't been in parliament for six months that's why I look well <laughs> it's nothing to do with cancer yeah um, you know it's like I'm going to bed at nine o'clock in yeah. the evening but, and, and what's interesting about the phrase you 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 look well is it's actually about them feeling better about your cancer would you agree yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Totally. I get that all the time. Oh, you look, oh, you look well. I, I got a comment. Oh, you you would never know that you've had cancer. Oh my like, God. How, how, how would how would you know? Is there supposed to be a stamp on me or a, 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 a mark that you know? I'm, I don't know, but yeah, I've been yeah. told that so many times. Okay, so that's, I, that's a no no. Go on, Tara. Sorry, I met up with some of my colleagues the first time I met them, and I was I think I second or third round of chemo, and they said they said that they were bracing themselves before I walked through the door because they were worried, you know, that I might be turn up all blue and yellow and whatever. And I think it's just this myth, actually. Um, and also it's their own fears that surface, I think. Mm. When when there's that kind of behaviour that you, you sort of think, well, I think this is more about you than me, mm. uh, me having cancer. It's about your own fears about maybe you getting cancer. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's what it, it boils that's down to. Okay. But, I mean, it, it may well come from a good place. And yeah, no, I, I do I, find I, it very difficult to communicate about those things. Yeah, I think um, you're right, Suzanne. It does. It it mostly comes from a good place. It's, I agree. It's, it's just you know, think harder about the language you use because yeah. it is so important in every area of our yeah. life. You know, okay. And so where I, you I, look, <laughs> and where you look, because I have had colleagues who've gone. Oh, hi. Yeah. And then you can see she's not been around. Click. Oh, yeah, she had breast cancer because everybody knew because I ended up not wanting to be the cancer girl and then running a big campaign. But um, <laughs> uh, but what they do is they then eyes drop. To oh, God, yeah, I get that. Sorry, go, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Eyes yeah. dropped to where? I get that all the time. To, 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 to time. my boobs. You're to just, kidding I, I mean, me. No, and I think it must be subconscious because. No, I get it. And they all kind the time. of look and you go, no, they're all. <laughs> I don't know what they're looking for. Oh. <laughs> Have they changed? My God. Were you looking before? <laughs> so, anyway. It, it's interesting, though, isn't it? And I don't know whether people would say this is the wrong thing to do, but some of my clients say to me, so I'm going to an interview and they've been out of work for a while. Do I offer up the fact that I'm really vibrant? I've got lots of energy. I feel wonderfully well in much the same way as a single mother might say in an interview. You know, my mother lives down the road. Don't worry about yeah. <laughs> childcare <laughs> issues. That you offer up that kind of positive contribution and then other people say well why should I why should I have to overcome their prejudices mm. about how I may be operating in the future yeah. but it, it on balance you probably it's probably not a bad Agreed. idea to say you know I feel utterly fantastic mm. yeah. C- can I ask you Suzanne Mel talked about this dilemma of whether you mention this on a CV what's your advice mm. um I mean, legally, obviously, if you mention this and you don't get shortlisted, that's a, that's a potential discrimination case. So there may be different reasons why you don't get shortlisted. But you could find out, for example, what the reason is. Um, I think that there are some positives because, frankly, if they take you through the SIFT and interview you and you get the job, you know they're the right employer for you. If you mention it and you don't get sifted, you don't want to work mm, for them. Yeah. So, that, so there are positives in putting eyes. it on the CV. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, I have no idea. I haven't written a CV for God knows 30 years. So, <laughs> so I'm not the person to give advice to Mel about this. But you know, I I I feel really good um about having come through cancer and sort of kind of turning it into a positive in that, you know, overcome this challenge. And, you know, uh, uh, and come out of it fitter and stronger and more positive and with a completely different perspective on life. 
So yeah. I, I would think as an employer, I would sit there and I think, actually, do you know what? You've got so much to offer me now because you are you, you want this job because for the right reason and not just because you need a job or whatever. And it's because I don't know about Tara and Mel and, and yourself, Victoria, but you know, I've completely re reevaluated my life. Oh, completely. I'm, I'm only going to do things that I want to do, right? So <laughs> Um, and Mel saying completely and mm-hmm. and you know therefore you're only going to apply for the job because you really want it yeah yeah, yeah that, I, I I set up um a group uh, a support group in in policing and um Victoria you actually sent some books to the Birmingham branch but it's called Breastmates and um one of the things I always talk about these women are fantastic they are feisty they have you know they've gone through such challenge they've probably managed their kids they manage all sorts of things during that time you think you know, wow, who, who wouldn't want these on your team? Mm. So I completely mm. agree. Yeah, if you can still get the hoovering done in the middle of chemo and get you know, <laughs> yeah, your child ready for school and, you know, remember show and tell day, you can do anything. Oh, my right? God. And then there's dress up as a character from a book day in the middle of it all. It's <laughs> like sheer hell. But that's, <laughs> su- that's such a good point. And, and depending on the, you know, whether you feel uh, flawed at the end of your treatment or you're just cannot wait to crack on with the rest of your life and, and a million different emotions in between, actually for, for everybody, who's got through diagnosis and treatment it is such a massive achievement isn't it 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 really is is. do you think that Mel a hundred percent hundred percent I mean I had a mastectomy so I you know my recovery was a little bit even longer um but um and I never I in the beginning I just thought my sister's already had breast cancer um and it and it just it scared me because I thought Will I live? I, I did think about I, I might I might not live. I definitely did, you know. Um, so to come through it at the end and to feel even more positive and more stronger than I did before, um, I'm like, yeah, nothing nothing can touch me now. I'm, I'm wearing a suit of armour. Invincible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I really don't sweat the small stuff and mm. I don't. Um, do things that I don't want to do. Totally agree. And it's simple as that. And I, I, and I just want to say at this point, not everyone is going to feel like that. I don't, I don't want people to think that, oh, you know, gosh, everybody who's no. gone through a diagnosis and treatment comes out feeling, hey, I'm so strong now. I got through this. Not everybody feels like that. Of course, everybody is different. We know that. Tara, when you came back to work, you got that promotion, yes? I did. I did. I got, um, I came back to work I applied while I was still off I was having radiotherapy and the advert came out for chief super chief superintendent so I knew that they would have supported me before so I applied for it and I was supported and went through the process it's a big assessment process as you can imagine Mm. and I got it um and so uh yeah they posted me within a couple of months um, and so now my current role is um, head of recruitment for the Met. So I'm responsible for uh, recruiting police officers, specials, um, volume staff, Mel. If you're, we can have a chat. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, so so, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. They've given me um, a great job. I work with a great team. Um, I feel incredibly lucky. Yeah. Really lucky. 
And congratulations so, to you as well. I love the idea Thank that you. coming out of this podcast is not only a sort of kind of a real sense of positivity, but Mel could end up working yeah, in Met. That would be, <laughs> well, I've got a job now. I started three oh, months ago. Oh, well done. <laughs> I can't I coach you then, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> would you have fancied a career in, in the Met though, Mel? Time. Yeah, maybe in six I months. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me well, know. You know, <laughs> the world is your oyster. Uh, Suzanne, yeah. I want you to give us some examples of women who've been through a diagnosis who who do reach the stage of taking legal action against their company or their bosses because of the way they've been treated um there's a multiplicity of types of cases but but trying to pull together sort of three themes there can be the cases where they're not believed I've had cases where people have said they've been diagnosed with cancer and the employer wants lots of evidence of us. Wow. I know that sounds shocking, but, but that, that, that does happen. And equally, when people, and related to that, people take time off because they need it for recovery and they start being tracked in terms of monitoring. I don't mean followed by a man in a, in a, in a long grace outfit. No, what I mean is, is they check whether you're on your PC on a regular basis and they can start to question whether you are doing the amount of what you're meant to be doing at home because you're working from home. There are the situations where, and, and coming up with the point about you know positivity, mm. quite a few of my clients suffer from depression following cancer treatment, and then that becomes a second disability. And in those cases, I've found the compassion dies in certain employers it's like well you know we we had to deal with that yeah. we're not dealing with this as yeah. well what this more is, do you want too much. sort of thing yes exactly yeah and then the third type is reasonable adjustments so we we're talking about that earlier so the duty to make reasonable adjustments such as shortening your hours uh two days a week three days a week working from home a bit avoiding that the, the the commutes at, at rush hours because of your immune system those are, are very good positive reasonable adjustments a lot of cases, unfortunately, arise out of failure to do that or a resistance to it. Occupational health reports can be can be unhelpful. Right. You know, they can say she has cancer, she has a disability, but not engage with the need to make reasonable adjustments and say what they should be and leave it to the business. Right. To That's decide. No. It's not enough. No. Um, so those are the sorts of cases we get. Okay. Um, I want to ask all of you actually, to what your advice would be to a woman listening right now who may have just been diagnosed or is going through treatment when it comes to them thinking about work or their job or their career or indeed thinking, you know what, I'm going to take some time out of work if they can afford it. What would you say, Tracy Crouch? I knew you were going to come to me first. Sorry, I'm the worst, sorry, I'm the sorry. Worst person to ask this question to, in part because, you know, I can give advice and I never actually, you know, listen to any of my own advice. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I a lot of people said to me, you know, make sure you look after yourself, um, and put yourself first, and and everything else. And I have a really unique job, so mm. you know, it's not, it, it's not the same as somebody who works in an office or works in a, you know, a, a retail or anything like that. Um, but also, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit of a workaholic, and I and I found work, you know, a real comfort to me. Um, I did put myself first, but I have the ability to be able to do that in my job, in that I can just dial in and I can dial out. I was really lucky with side effects, 
um, which, you know, I mean, two days after my second chemo, I was doing an urgent question in Parliament. So, you know, I was in, in, in reflection, I don't, you know, I don't actually remember it, but I was there reading something. Um, but I just think, look after yourself, you know, and, and do what you think is right. Your gut is a good instinct, you know, and I think... If, everybody's employer is different and you know if if you're a horrible employer then seek advice yeah. you know Suzanne or someone before we hear from Mel and Suzanne and Tara I just want to ask you Tracy about when you were having treatment and you weren't allowed to take part in a debate on breast cancer due to being in the middle of your own treatment just explain that <laughs> No, it wasn't because of that. It oh. was because it was because of the setup in Parliament. Um, so there was a, 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 a debate on breast cancer in our second debating chamber, which is Westminster Hall, and the external facilities had only been set up for the chamber. Um, but um, and they and the hybrid proceedings that we had didn't extend to these types of debates. Um, and so that was why I was basically not allowed to. Now, as a consequence of me raising that, the procedures were changed and we were then subsequently allowed to dial in for Westminster Hall debates. Um, so I just, in a way, I kind of <laughs> used my condition to be able to make a difference, not just for this particular debate on breast cancer, but actually for all colleagues to be able to dial into what are important debates elsewhere in, in the palace. Mel, what would your advice be to somebody listening right now who's worried about work and has just had a diagnosis or is going through treatment? Um, Well, for me, um, I I 100% hear what Tracy said and I loved working when I was working, but I was so glad that I I didn't have work to think about while I was going through treatment Um, because I think everybody, obviously everybody's treatment is different. and for me, I I work with figures every day and I, <laughs> I don't think my brain could have taken the treatment on top of trying to figure out, you know, all these figures that I had. Mm. So I think if if you need if you can take the break and relax and, you know, take it in your stride, um, I would advise to do that. If you can, of course, some, yeah, some people can't you, afford to. Can. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you, you get know. that, totally. Yeah, 100%. Tara? I suppose I, I feel very fortunate um, because I work for an organisation that's really looked after me. So giving this advice, it's kind of coming from that place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt very comfortable about sharing, um, you know, telling people that I had cancer and also... Um, and the reason that it was a positive thing is lots of women came forward who had had it and then they became my support network. And it's about, you know, leaning in and uh, not just with friends who, who may not get the other challenges you have when it comes to the workplace. Um, and I just think being honest with your line manager, as Suzanne said, if you can, if you've got that relationship, really, really important and be a bit of a demanding customer. What do you need work to give you? Um, what do you need? Do you need space or do you need, I, I wanted project work because otherwise I would have gone do lally. Mm. Um, what is it that you need and how often do you want to hear from them? And what do you expect when you're coming back in terms of reasonable adjustments? Um, and then be the demanding customer it, it, in a nice constructive way, but, mm. um, people don't know how to respond to you and they may not give you something, not because they don't want to, but, but they just don't know or they, 
you know, they're too busy caught up in the day-to-day yeah. running of your organisation that they kind of, it, it falls off their radar. It so can be quite, I would, that's really good yeah. advice, but it can be really hard to be demanding, to use your word, yeah. when, when you've got a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, no, you yeah. know, you're, you're knackered, you, you're thinking about a million different things. It's stressful. Mm. You, you might not know what whether your cancer is treatable. It, sometimes it can be hard, but I, but I totally hear hear what you're saying, Tara. Suzanne, final word from you. I agree with Tara. It is important to be demanding in a very polite and constructive way. Mm. Work if you can, because it, it it's so good for the soul and the men, and your mental health. Ensure you know you get what you want. Working part time, working from home, whatever you need to get you through it. I, I'm going to say this. Not I know it won't. Everyone will not necessarily agree with it, but don't resign if you can possibly help it, because then it's it's much, much harder to mm. use any of your legal rights. Become aware of your legal rights, know what you're entitled to, know what the duties are. Um, uh, yeah, and keep banging that reasonable adjustments drum. Yeah. Thank you so much, all of you. Uh, Melaine Bastian, Tracy Crouch, Tara McGovern and Suzanne Mackay. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about breast cancer or you have any questions, do contact the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. And you can contact me at any time on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Vic Derbyshire. And you've been listening to And Then Came Breast Cancer. It's a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production. Ladies, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text We Care to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.